the giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, Giants. Welcome back to another episode here on the Giant Thinkers Podcast. I'm Ram Castillo, and today we are diving into episode number 23, where I chat with the design director for Nike Plus. He has worked across the realms of digital products, physical products, services, and brands. He is best known for his interaction design work, and his CV includes the likes of Samsung, Twitter, and IDEO. He has even been recognized by BAFTA, the British Academy of Film and Television Arts, the Spark Awards, the Webbies, the Pixel Awards, and the Interaction Design Associations Awards. He has even been published by Fast Company, Core 77, and presented workshops at international conferences, including South by Southwest. Whether you're an emerging or established designer or creative, you will get solid insights and practical advice here. He shares his experiences with small and large companies, project challenges, on-the-job realities, health tech wearables, and navigating your way through curiosity. Now, before we begin, I'd like to invite you all to head to giantthinkers.com slash mentor. And on that page, you can enter your name and email to opt in to receive future updates regarding the release of my next book titled How to Get a Mentor as a Designer Guaranteed. The launch date is not yet set in stone, but it is planned for a release later this year, 2016. So head to giantthinkers.com slash mentor. So now let's get into it and hear from one of the great minds behind arguably the world's most iconic sporting brand, Ben Fullerton. Ben Fullerton, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, my friend. I'm incredibly excited to have you on the show. Uh, So excited, in fact, that I had to curate about 40 plus questions down to about 15. So uh, that was very difficult. (laughs) So awesome. I'm, I'm glad to have you on, mate. Uh, before we Thanks. begin, I must publicly thank JP Stallard, a mutual friend of ours who uh, introduced me to you. And he, of course, has been a previous guest on the podcast, uh, episode number 11, in fact, and was even a guest on one of my creative live classes. So thank you, awesome. JP, if you're listening. Thanks, um, JP. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> ben, first question is an icebreaker one, mate. Um, what is one item that you really should throw away, but probably never will. <laughs> it's a, this is a good one. Um, so uh, I have a very large collection of books. Um, some of these books are almost completely useless in my current life. Um, but for some reason, I just find it incredibly hard to actually let go of any book, um, much to mine and my wife's eternal um, uh, annoyance. So I've got like boxes and boxes and boxes stuffed full of books from um, from way back when. Um, some of them I've had since childhood, uh, and it's still the same book. It's pretty um, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, so that's my like kind of uh, non I guess uh, answer that's like uh, not so interesting to the people listening to this podcast. Um, no, mine would probably be the same. Uh, it'd just be a collection of books and and most of them I haven't even finished reading. <laughs> yeah, that's no, I think everyone's probably got like like an attic stuffed full of books somewhere. I mean, the other thing, but the, the things are slightly more relevant um, to, to at least what we do for a living. Um, I have um, uh, 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 I have two things. I have a, an E-Mate 300, which I don't know if anyone listening probably realizes what that is. It's a, it's a, um, uh, an educational computer that Apple made. Um, it's a green clamshell uh, translucent <laughs> design uh, and it runs... Um, the Newton operating system. Um, It's a pretty amazing um, piece of technology. Um, Again, like nowadays, I guess it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty useless, but, um, but I do for some reason still keep it around. I even tried to get it working with, um, with the Wi-Fi network at home um, once, which for no good reason at all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to uh, Google the E-Mate, was it? The E-Mate 300. There you go. I, um, I was tossing uh, around with that icebreaker question versus another one, um, which was quite funny. A uh, listener um, sent it in and uh, she said, oh, you've got to ask him if um, he really 
does just wear Nikes or does he have a sneak <laughs> a sneaky pair of Adidas? <laughs> That's, um, I possibly couldn't say that on air because I might get fired. That's no, I'm it. That's um, it. It's, it. It's it's one of the one of the perks of the job is um is easy access to uh, to 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 all the beautiful things that Nike makes. So, yeah, um, so. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, mate. So um, where would you say your expertise lies? It's um, yeah, I think it's probably shifted a little bit over the course of my career. Um, I mean, I started out as a um, as a as a as a front end developer um, way back when in the first like dot com boom. Um, so I actually started out by like writing um, HTML and CSS and, and 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 JavaScript and all that kind of fun stuff um, a long time ago. None of the skills that I have I had then would be relevant now, I imagine. But um, but uh, from there, I kind of like found my way into um into interaction design and specifically service design so like um that's something that um i, I had a, a chance to work at one of the first consultancies in the uk that actually um sold service design as a as a, as a service um and uh and and that was something i kind of worked in there but like more recently um i think over the last five or six years i've, I've dealt specifically with um the interaction between um between um, software and hardware, so like kind of digital and physical experiences, and how the two work together in a single experience, mm. um, and that's something that I think is like it, it, it's been some of the most interesting work, and that's that's something that I continue to do. So that's like that's what kind of where I am. I, so, I, so the short answer is like all over the place, but more recently, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like in this um, like uh, soft hardware world. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners, can you give an example of I guess a a general software and hardware interaction that they would have experienced themselves day to day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's just a case of like now, really, like you know, and especially as we begin to get into like the the the, the world of um, or well, the world of connected devices is exploding. Um, you know, anything that um, uh, anything that kind of connects to a network um, needs to express itself in some way, um, and that's not always on the device, right? Um, more and more frequently, it's actually through um, an app that runs on your phone. Um, and so that's really where the kind of like there's 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 a there's a um, uh, a lot of work to do there to make sure that the experience that you have with that app um, and any service that powers the 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 app and the device um, is actually as good as the physical experience you have with the device. So like when you get it out of the box, when you plug it in, and any button that you press on the device, right? So it's really like kind of playing in that world. And there's a lot of stuff there to to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And and even more, I guess, overwhelming is the possibility. Um, mm-hmm. with with that type of interaction between what we we're now capable of, even as something as simple as um, location services, and how that has heightened every single experience or app yeah. on our devices. Yeah, no, you're right. There's, I, mean, I think there's something interesting there around like kind of these um, these like kind of uh, and like macro trends that work across any kind of connected device, whether it's to do with like um, providing reliable data access to something or like location services, or you know, there's a bunch of other um, a bunch of other things that you have to think about but then like you know for each device that has a more specialized role like how does it provide you know in the uh, the first example i'm thinking of is um is drop cam right like how does the drop cam provide its video feed um to to the, to the user in 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 the most delightful way mm. um and there's a million and one you know things you can think of in in that world yeah big big topic there especially now with of course the even more accelerated emergence of snapchat and and of course periscope and Blab and, mm-hmm. and Meerkat and all this. Um, really interesting. All right. Very cool. So um, can you tell us a little about your childhood and how you grew up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I can. Um, so uh, I grew up in the countryside um, in uh, in England um, in a county called Devon, which is like way down in the, the foot if you look at England on a map. Um, and so there, I guess um, it was a you know pretty rural upbringing. Um, I think the thing that first got me into and you know what i think if you talk to any um interaction designer that's my age um we all probably had similar experiences um and it's i think it's kind of funny so like i'm seven or eight years old um and my my father has the the, the presence to like kind of go okay cool uh, i think computers are going to be a thing that's big in the future um <laughs> so i should probably buy him one and so he finds a um a, a zx spectrum or it's a like a rubber keyed sinclair spectrum it's like kind of this was around the time when home computers were really becoming a, a big thing um, at least in, in in England and actually around the world, but um, so he finds one of these um these 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 computers for me and 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 buys it for me. And the first thing I do, of course, is take it apart. 
Um, and, um, and, you know, I, I still like kind of remembered that walking into my bedroom to see this thing that he just spent like not an insignificant amount of money on in pieces across the floor. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, he was like, you, you can put that back together, right? Like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Um, but that's kind of the first thing that like, kind of, um, I guess that was like, you know, the, the, my gateway into, into the world of technology. And then from there on, um, it just was a part of my life. Um, like I went from a, from a, from a Sinclair Spectrum to an Amiga, uh, to, um, a bunch of other computers. Um, so, I mean, and that's the kind of like, that was the thing that got me into technology and, and then that got me into design. Got you. So you weren't exactly climbing trees, um, and, uh, throwing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there was a bit of that. Um, but I think as soon as I'd like, yeah, as soon as you kind of like figure out that there's this other world that, um, where you can like kind of, you know, to tinker with stuff and take stuff apart and put stuff back together. That's the thing that became like the most interesting part of my life. Really, That's cool. That's really cool. And I guess it was your father that uh, has a, had a big role in that. And, um, you know, to, to the respect of all of the other guests that have come on the show, they've also, um, had that similar pattern, you know, it's the parents introducing something and seeing yeah. what sticks to, to them. Yeah. And that's really cool. It's kind of funny. My dad, um, my dad, tried to get me to play tennis because he thought that I might be a good tennis player and that didn't work. <laughs> um, and then he tried to like, kind of, I think they, they, they encouraged me to play the piano. Um, and I did keep doing that and I still play guitar. Um, but it was really the kind of like the, the computer thing that really stuck with me. And then I think at that point, both my mom and dad were like, well, this is what he seems to enjoy. So, um, let's figure out how we support this going forward. Yeah. Very, very good. And, and, um, a little further than, than you tinkering, um, fast forwarding a bit, uh, what was your first design job? Um, how did you get into that? Yeah. So that was, so, um, so like I said, I, I kind of, I went to, so I went to, 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 uh, university for, um, for contemporary literature. My undergraduate degree is actually in contemporary literature, hence oh, wow. the books. Um, and, um, so nothing at all to do with design or technology. Um, and then, um interesting point for the listeners there. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, no, it's, uh, totally. It, it's, it's, it's another funny thing. And I think again, I, I say that in a very good way, by the way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think you'll, you'll, you'll find people who are like, again, who, who, who didn't go to design school, um, and they actually end up having a very successful career in interaction design, but then, you know, vice versa, people that do go to design school, um, also end up being successful. So I, it's kind of like, it gives you a different perspective on things, but, um, sure. but anyway, so I did that. And then, um, I was, uh, in London, which is where I went to, to university. Um, and again, like the, the time of the first dot-com booms, so like 99, 2000, um, there was a, a, a very large agency in London called Oyster Partners. Um, and they were like expanding very quickly, um, as companies did back then. Um, and they were recruiting for um, web developers and I taught myself to, to, to code. Um, and so I went in and I did, uh, a at like on. the age of four. <laughs> yeah, we're to start with. But yeah, uh, then we were, um, uh, went in, did a, an HTML and CSS and JavaScript test. So they had like a test and you had to like sit there and do it live in the room, um, which I think, you know, that's still how lots of companies hire engineers these days, except the tests are rather more difficult. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I managed to get hired uh, as a web developer um, and, uh, and working, like I said, on the front end of, of, of websites, um, dealing with, um, with uh, the differences between um, Netscape and, and Internet Explorer. Wow. Um, which was a, a world that um, I'm so glad that we've moved beyond. That's like the Renaissance period in the yes. 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if you go that far. Yeah. Uh, dark ages. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I did that. And then as, as I was like kind of, you know, working um, with the designers there and, you know, um, building the front end and like building the interactions, I actually built up these, 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 these you know, the, the websites we were building for clients. Um, I kind of thought, well, there's something in this part of the job that I find way more interesting is like experimenting with, with behavior, um, and like architecture and that kind of stuff, um, uh, through code. Um, and then that's how I got into be being an interaction designer. So I worked with a, a guy who came in to consult on a project, um, at Oyster, and then he left to start his own, um, design agency, which was the service design company I talked about before. And he hired me away from Oyster. He's like, okay, look, I think you want to be a designer. So come and be a designer. Mm. and um and that's that's kind of how i got started mate love that story very cool um so in your experience what is your definition of an interaction designer um so yeah <laughs> probing you in your experience there just because uh you know it could be could be so broad um yeah it's it, it's kind of like you're 
Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, for me personally, an interaction designer is someone that looks at the the, the point at which people interact with the world around them, mm. and usually that's through technology, but it can also be with like a service, or it could also be with like you know a physical thing, um, and uh, and designs how that um, how that point of interaction is made the most you know the the most considered and enjoyable that it can be. Mm. Um, I think. For me, that like kind of encompasses like a super broad um, uh, set of skills um, and a super broad way of thinking about the world. Um, you'll hear, and I mean, I don't want to get too much into this because it's a little bit. It sometimes gets into a semantic mm. um, conversation, but like the difference between what a user experience designer is and an interaction designer. For me, I've always thought that there isn't very there's there's very little, if any, difference. Yeah. Like interaction designers think about how things evolve over time as much as anyone else does. At least they should. Um, so, um, so for me, it's just like it, it's a, it's that pretty broad definition. You're thinking about how people interact with the world around them as mediated through technology. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and I, I completely agree, especially when uh, we talk about interaction as everything encompassing emotion, experience. Yeah. Um, time frames. Uh, therefore, that lives in all types of worlds from the physical realm to the, um, to the, as you said, the, the service, the, um, unten- the, the things that are not tangible in yeah. the physical world. Um, so with all that, is it, is it that you do need to exercise multiple disciplines of le- of learning? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think like the the basic the basic basic thing that should that drive you as an interaction designer is like curiosity mm. um, about the world around you and about how people move through that world and about how people interact with the world and with technology within it. Um, and then from there, I think you know you, you figure out what what your particular core skill set um, lies in. Whether you're more interested in you know like research, finding out mo- people's motivations behind why they do something, and, and figuring out like what they want to do that they can't do yet um or whether your skill set lies more in like you know uh organizing information in a way that makes it um the the most uh easily accessible for people or whether your skill set is in making things as beautiful as they can be through motion or through graphic design Mm. yeah i think there's a ton of things that you can do within that yeah um but for me it's all part of like this 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 kind of like concept of designing interactions very cool i love that uh, now, you actually originally, uh, as you mentioned, uh, grew up in the UK, started working there, and then you moved to the US mm-hmm. uh, to work at Twitter when there was still mm-hmm. a, a tiny company at a time of rapid growth. And yeah. you contributed to, the, to introducing design to their more engineering-led culture. Um, what are some of the experiences within Twitter that you had to improve and solve? I don't know that I was uh, there long enough to actually have any material okay. impact on Twitter's business, um, but uh, but that was I mean it was an amazing experience. I I, I kind of like I moved over um, as the like kind of first um, the first designer on on that team that had been hired in, um, and it was a, um, a a group of incredibly talented engineers who were working on the product at the time. It was also a time when the product was like undergo- undergoing explosive growth, mm. um, and most of the focus of the company at that particular moment was like making sure that the thing didn't keep falling over um you know every time like you know steve jobs gave a keynote um twitter would go down oh wow um and um and i think you know like kind of the focus of the company is like okay like if we're going to be a serious company we have to figure out like uh how our service doesn't fall over all the time Hmm, um and so i'm sitting there going yeah but we could also like you know how about these new ideas for onboarding and how about these new ideas for how people like maintain conversations within a timeline and this new way of looking at the timeline um and uh and i think it was kind of like yeah these are all awesome but like we have to stop the thing from falling over um so um that was like that that was kind of like the the bulk of my experience but um but it was a it, it was it was the job that brought me over to the states so that's you know one thing to be um eternally grateful for um and uh, and it was a really fun time and i met some really um incredible people there how did that happen anyway did they hit you up so i was in the uk uh, i was working at samsung in their um london design studio which is where i I originally met JP, um, just for the record, uh, and um, and uh, and I was I, I learned about this thing called Twitter. I can't remember how I first learned about it, but I think it was through a friend. Mm. Um, and I started using it, um, and I was like, "Oh, this kind of looks interesting." And I noticed that there was a, a careers page, and they had a posting on that page for an interaction designer. Uh, I applied, 
um, I had a total of four phone conferences. So I spoke to pretty much everyone at the company at the time. Um, and then they said, okay, cool. Here's a 20 hour project. Um, you have to, you have a brief of like basically increasing, um, how people, in, uh, increasing mobile engagement with Twitter, uh, you know, do, um, like go away, come up with some like kind of suggestions for how we do that. Um, and so I did that and I sent them a PDF and then I had another phone call. They were like, sure, do you want to come work with us? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Uh, and so I, uh, left, I left London on Friday and I flew out, uh, I finished the Samsung on a Friday, flew out to San Francisco on a Saturday. And at Monday, I was um, turning up for my first day at Twitter in, in, in a very, in a different country, which was wow. kind of crazy, but, um, but in, in retrospect, a good thing. What a, what an experience. And so, um, at the time, um, off air, you were, you had mentioned to me that, uh, when you did start at Twitter there, although, um, uh, not an extensive amount of time, as you said, but yeah. but you were exposed to um, planning around features such as the at replies, um, direct messaging, and yeah. th threading conversations. So if we look at Twitter today and the design decisions of what yeah. we now know what it is today, um, wh what do you think about about how they've evolved? I guess from from seeing it from a very um, ground ground level, it, it's kind of like. I think the company's done an amazing job of of um, uh, kind of preserving what is most important about the the, the service. Um, in the you know, it's always been this way of finding out um, what's happening right now. And you know, that used to be the prompt for the text field that um, that where you would enter your 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 update. It was like you know what's happening, um, and. I think there's something about that purity that's that's that they've managed to preserve, even as they've like begun to add a lot more features that um, that have, um, have definitely changed the service into something that's unrecognizable from the one that like I knew when I worked there. Mm. Um, so I think there's something like really amazing in, in in how they've managed that change, and it'll be really interesting to see like where it goes in the future. I feel like it's it's an incredibly valuable platform, and it does something that not a lot or no other service really does. Yeah. Um, at the moment is like, you know, it's, it's an insight into the, in, into what is actually happening at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it provides that in a very pure way. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, uh, jumping on now to, uh, when you moved from Twitter to, uh, IDEO, uh, as the principal interaction designer, um, yeah. one of the clients that I found interesting you worked on was the national campaign to prevent teen and unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a, a nonprofit organization. Um, can you share to us how this project was different to the experience you had with more corporate work you've done? Um, yeah, I, I, sure. I, I don't know. There was a, a a huge amount of difference in how we related to the client. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's a, that's a it's a super interesting um, question. I think it's 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 a case of like we you know we we still were, I mean, the, the team was still building a, a brand, mm. right? So we still had to come up with like a brand, an identity, a brand voice, um, a way that that brand would come to life. And my role was like working on the detailed interaction design um, of the, the, the website itself, um, along with the rest of the team. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if the relationship was actually that different. Yeah, in the process would be the yeah. same. Um, you, yeah, you, you'd still like, you, you, you treat them as you would any other client. Um, I think, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know that it was that different. Was, was it, uh, for you coming in, uh, in a, from a, from a place of, I guess, ethics, um, did you feel that this to some degree, um, mattered more to, oh yeah, to the, pa the power of, the communication yeah. that you were you were dealing with yeah yeah absolutely because yeah. you this one actually won a, a gold for a spark awards yeah. in 2009 so was that more uh fulfilling in a way uh yeah yeah i think so and i know that like kind of if you ask the 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 guys who were leading the project for ido they'd probably be able to tell you a lot more about this but i think um I think working on it, um, yeah, it's it's kind of rare that you get the chance to work on something that isn't purely commercial right, yeah. as an interaction designer. Um, I, I think um, maybe more recently as a discipline, we've we've kind of figured out um, 
how we get involved with things that are a little bit more altruistic. Um, like there's lots of healthcare work going on, for example. Um, but you, yeah, you, you, you don't tend to, um, to have many opportunities to work on things that don't have a commercial impact. Um, and you know, I, I say that working at, um, working at Nike. Right. <laughs> yeah. So with, with that, exactly. So because the, the angle that I'm, uh, I'm coming from is from a, from questions that I get quite often, which is, um, you know, Ram, I, I want to work for nonprofits and do mm. more as a designer for yes. purposes that mean more to them and that are in line with their values. So the only concern that, that, that I often see with, um, with this type of work is that they don't have much budgets and therefore, yes, you know, you'll, you don't get as much, um, exposure slash impact from highly experienced thinkers and creatives that can deliver something, um, that would be incredibly disruptive and, um, impactful. So yeah. Did they have the same budgets as that's a really good point, actually. Um, the specifics of the budget, I, I don't know. I wasn't involved in the project in that way. Mm. Um, but um, what I will say is that um, I know that uh, IDEO as a company um, does, um, does work um, for uh, nonprofits mm. um, and NGOs um, that, don't, that certainly don't get charged the, the same rate that um, a commercial entity does. And they're not alone in that. There are other agencies out there that will do things like pro bono, um, in some cases, uh, or with like vastly reduced rates because it's a, it, it's a nonprofit. Um, I think it comes down to like each agency's, um, like an individual business decision for each agency, whether they want to do that work, whether they value that work yeah. and whether they can sustain it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're talking about a business, um, and, uh, you know, if the business has enough overhead that it can afford to sustain that work, that's fantastic. But, you know, at some point, you know, some agencies can't, they have to make money and, um, to pay their people. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it comes down to like where each agency is in terms of that. I'm sure that every agency would love to be able to, to say, yeah, we'll, we'll do this work for a good cause for nothing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to like, what, a, what's the reality of their business? Yeah, totally agree. Um, little segue here related to the same question. Um, but in terms of, uh, the thinking and attitude between a small business and a big company, mm-hmm. um, how do you think the operations and the attitudes are, are different? You know, there's that whole sort of, um, preempting a bit of, um, uh, I guess stereotype here, but you know, the big agencies or the big companies, won't ever give you the intimacy or the attention mm. um, and the client service as as a small one. Um, what what are your thoughts on on all that? Yeah, um, I, I think it's um, it's uh, yeah, it's super interesting. I I, uh, um, I think it comes down to the, to scale um, and then what you want to achieve as an as an individual designer. I mean, there's always this. There's there's been a um, a large amount of conversation over the last year or so, maybe a little bit more than that, of um, you know the, the the benefits of working within an agency versus the benefits of working within a large company. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it comes down to like where you are in your career and what you want to get done, um, and where your focus is. Um, so um, I think you know you, you come to a large company. Um, at least like I'm going to speak for myself personally. I can't speak for everyone, obviously. Yeah. Um, but like you come to a company like Nike to to actually kind of like focus on, um, on making product and shipping product. Yeah. That being said, that process of doing that takes up rather more, um, of your time than if you work at an agency where you have, um, more time to explore, more time to think freely about a problem. Mm. Um, so it's a balance, I think. And I, it's funny, I was just talking, I just went to meet up with a, a friend of mine from, um, from, from method where I used to work. Um, when we talked about this exact thing, it's like, I think it comes down to like, where you are and it's a cycle like at some points in your career you'll be like you know what i I've, I've been working on lots of things that haven't seen the light of day i actually just want to get something done and get something shipped that i can point to and say you know what i worked on that that's me there's a bit of me in that in in, in that thing hmm. um and then in that case you'll come work at a company that actually is geared up to do that stuff but you will spend a lot more of your time you know in meetings doing things like you know whatever sprint planning or um you know talking to marketing talking to like digital brand about how the product comes to life and all that kind of stuff, uh, which isn't necessarily related to like what you love doing. 
design. Hmm. Um, whereas sometimes you might think, you know, what? I just want to do what I love doing. I want to, I want to be a designer. I want to, I don't want to have those constraints and I want to think freely. And then I think in that case, you probably go back and work at an agency because the agencies afford you that freedom. Yeah. I think you, uh, yeah, you answered that, uh, beautifully. Um, I'd love to talk to you now about, um, some of your biggest project challenges. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is there one that sticks out in your mind of a particular project challenge and, and how you overcame that challenge? Mm, a project challenge. Um, let's see. I'm thinking back now. Um, I think most of the, um, the challenges have always come when uh, in, in that moment where your design vision um, meets the realities of production and the, rea- the realities of implementation. Mm. Um, and there's a, a, a lot of like kind of compromising that goes on to, um, to actually get something um, good shipped. Yeah. Um, and, and that can sometimes be very um, difficult, but I actually think it's, it's, it's also kind of humbling um, and it's ultimately a good thing for, for your ego. Do you mean prototyping slash um, sort of beta stages or do you mean like when it's already rolling out and then you're finding problems as it's shipped? Pre-production. So like as, as you get into the, as you get into the, to the stage of developing stuff. So the last, um, uh, so that's something that, um, you know, like I'm, I'm going through, um, at Nike, but it's also something that, um, for example, the company that I worked at, that was a, um, a, a hardware startup and we were making a wireless speaker, um, called Cone. Hmm. Um, and there was a point, um, where, um, you know, it became clear that we had to ship this thing by a date. Um, and that meant that there were a series of compromises we had to make about the product experience, um, to actually get the thing launched. Hmm. Um, that's, and that's a really difficult time for a designer to go through. Um, because you have probably had in your head this idea of how this thing works perfectly. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's going to do this and it's going to function in this way. And there's going to be this thing that happens when this happens. Um, and when you start to realize that actually, um, you know, that's either going to be like incredibly costly or very difficult to implement, um, and means that you'll miss dates or you'll like, you know, blow a budget. Uh, then you have to come back and think again about like whether or not that's actually something that is really important to the experience and you're going to stand your ground or you're going to go, okay, you know what, maybe we can get to that in version two. Mm, yeah. Um, and there's a, and that's a, that's a very difficult thing to go through. And I think that's, that's the same whether you work in hardware or whether you work in software. Um, you know, like you've, you've come up with this beautiful set of comps um, and you've like kind of, you know, built a bunch of prototypes that work amazingly well. Um, and then you kind of go and sit down with the dev team and you start your sprint planning and they're like, well, that's going to take like three months. And you're like, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's, um, I was going to say it's, it's, it's the time as well, isn't it? That's, uh, that's against yeah, you. Um, either that, um, or the internal slash external, which would be the client's, um, views on yeah. the progress as well. So, <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I mean, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Coming back to the agency and agency side, that's, um, that's always a thing as well, right? Like where, uh, where you've kind of like worked very hard on what you believe is a really incredible direction for a client. And then you sit down with them and they kind of look at you and go, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> It was that silence in the room where you're like, are they amazed or are they actually, oh no, yeah, it's wait, like, think, think, think optimistic, <laughs> think optimistic. Um, yes. so, uh, I'm going to, uh, sort of preempt this next question and give it a bit of background, but you, you know, you've, you've won a, a, quite a few awards on top of Spark. You've, you've been mentioned, uh, recognized rather at, uh, the British Academy of Film and Television Arts, the Webbies. <laughs> A long, a long time ago. Right, right. <laughs> Pixel, um, IXDA, Interaction Awards. Um, and you've even uh, written for uh, Fast Company spoke, and have spoken at South by Southwest, among many others. Um, so you've, you've had uh, quite a lot of uh, exposure um, in the 17 to 18 years of, of experience in the industry. Um, now, I'd love to ask you if you had the attention of all emerging designers for a brief moment. Yeah. What would be one practical tip you would tell them to help them on their career progression? <laughs> uh, don't um, don't think about speaking or writing anywhere. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I, in, in, uh, yeah. In in all seriousness, um, and given that intro, this might sound a little bit funny for me to say this, but um, 
but find your voice through your craft. Mm. Um, the most important thing that you can do is figure out who you are by what you do. Um, and by that, I mean like, you know, like find out what you love doing um, and then make sure you're damn good at it. Um, and then you can get up and stand in front of people and say, hey, look, this is what I did and this is how I did it. Um, and people will go, okay, cool. I think, um, I, I think, and I'm going to include myself in this as well. There are, there are, um, there are a few people, uh, or quite a few people that our industry is very good at like having people stand up on stage and talk. Um, that's cool. But I think it's always more powerful if, if you're, if you're the person, um, who has done something, um, and, uh, and people can go, I, I know who this guy is, I know his work, um, or girl. Um, I think that's really important to do. So yeah, I would just say it's like, if you're getting started, pay attention to what you do and find your voice um, through doing it. Yeah, I really um, love that you said that um, you you have to go out there and 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 find that. And it's and one thing that that came to my head as you were saying it was um, you can't think your way into acting or being. Mm -hmm. um, you you must act your way into being meaning you know i take a simple example as thinking your way into being fit no matter how much you think about that yeah. um it's not going to yeah. work for you you've got to you've got to um as they say uh motion motion will create that um experience and um when when i think about um the question the answer to the question that i i get often asked, uh, how do I know what I should specialize in graphic design, interaction mm. design, digital design, like service design, you know, what do I do? And honestly, it's, it's the whole try it and see, like besides yeah. the research, it's, it's getting in and physically doing it yourself. Like it's the same as, yeah. as you said, uh, you know, practicing on your, your craft and finding that voice. It's, it's, a painter choosing uh, oil instead of acrylic. It's the same as someone choosing yeah. snowboarding rather than skateboarding. Like you, tr you try it. Yeah. It's similar, but you you have to. Yeah, you. I mean, yeah. It's it's true. You you're you're like okay. You've you've identified that you're a designer, right? Like you already know that you think about the world in a certain way. That's why you're a designer. Now go and find find out like how you actually affect that world. Mm. Um, and it can be you can you could, you know, specialize in any one of a number of things, but trying them and figuring it out and realizing that the things aren't mutually exclusive. You know, some of the, some of the best inter interaction designers that I've worked with have been graphic designers. Mm -hmm. um, some of the people have the smartest thing to say about service design have been interaction designers. You know what I mean? Like it's not, yeah. I, it, it, I wouldn't say that um, because you've like decided to specialize in one field, that's it. You're just going to be pigeonholed in that field forever. Mm. Um, you know, you're like, you realize that you can, you can move across anything as long as you're like, again, like willing to stay curious and willing to like kind of always like try and investigate how you make something a little bit yeah, better. Really solid advice. Thanks. Thanks for uh, explaining all that. Uh, now, what does a typical day look like as a design director at Nike? Um, what does your role entail? And, and yeah, what's a, what's a day look like? Sure. Um, so, uh, so I work within the part of the organization that's, um, that's called Nike plus. Um, and that's the part of the organization that deals with, um, with crafting, um, essentially digital experiences for, for, for Nike and not the only part of the organization that does that, but, mm. um, but it's the one that like, uh, that does that a lot. Um, and so for me, um, Right now, we're like in the middle of me and my team are in the middle of a of a, of a, of a project, um, and so um, we are kind of like full speed ahead on on progressing some um, some design um, through and working with developers. So right now, we've got um, you know it, it's a pretty typical thing I think for most people. We've got a, a stand up in the morning with the with the development team, so we'll participate in that. We'll make sure that we're um, aware of what they need if they need anything from us, and we'll tell them what we're working on so that they know what they're going to expect. Um, soon. And then, um, like myself and my team will get ourselves back into our, into our project room. So one of the things I've always been keen on, um, trying to, to explore wherever I've worked is like this idea of project rooms. And this really comes from like working at IDEO where they're very, very, um, keen on this. But once you're working on a project, you go and you dedicate yourself to, 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 to that space. Yeah. Um, so you go sit with your team, um, you know, you like kind of <laughs> breathe the same air. Um, and that process actually, I, I think is a, it's, it's a really easy way of like making sure that people are, are working together in the most effective way that they possibly can. 
Um, so we'll do that, and the rest of those is working through, like you know, whatever design challenge that we've we, we, we're coming up with as we as we think about how this whole experience of the thing we're building comes together. Um, so um, so there's that. I mean, for me, there's a lot of meetings that I need to have with um, you know, I, it's one of those things. Uh, and I was talking about this to another guy that works here. Um, you know, the more senior you get, the more time you spend using Keynote, right? Mm. Um, that's uh, it becomes your tool. Yeah, of and that's actually uh, might surprise people, but it's true. <laughs> no, it's good. No, it's not good. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up, though. It's the reality, isn't it? It, it, it is. Inspiring people All with right. their keynote skills is not something I ever thought I'd be saying. But, um, but yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you end I there's some stuff I have to go talk to, um, have meetings with like the guys in, um, in the categories here. So our categories are, you know, organized around um, uh, our, our markets, like running and training and that kind of stuff. Um, and I need to, you know, go and talk to um, guys in, in communications around like, you know, how things are coming to life. Um, this was just today. Uh, and then there's, um, yeah, there's, a, you know, a, a whole bunch of other stuff that, that I need to do to make sure that what we're doing is, is connected to the to what the rest of the company is doing. Great, great. Um, well, two things, uh, again, um, that have popped in my head. But uh, the first is the project rooms. I've, I've experienced that extensively myself. And um, I imagine you have that room dedicated, right, for yep. for all your um, your notes and your stuff on the wall and the, the visuals. Yep. Um, and, yep. and it can be quite... Um, quite a manic sort of room, but it's a good type of room to be in when you can step in and your thoughts are plastered all over the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the messier, the better in my yeah. experience. Like the, the best Spot project on. rooms yeah. um, always look like someone's brain has exploded all over the, the, the whiteboard or whatever. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's always good. And, and again, like that's a really simple thing and lots of people already do this, but just the act of getting stuff up on the walls, um, creates a conversation around the work. That's really, really helpful to have. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I bring that up because, you know, if for all the designers out there that are listening or emerging designers, it's important to, to mimic that and to, to have that on, on even your bedroom wall on a, on a, project no matter how small yeah. it is um yeah yeah like i always talk about it it's a, it's being generous with your work right like I, I think it's it's um it's hard i get that it's hard to like kind of um invite commentary um about the work that you've been you've been working so hard on but it's a really important thing and and it actually makes you a much better designer if you're like getting used to like people having a conversation about your work yeah and it doesn't have to feel like you know crits did in art school um, where they can be like brutal and there is a, there, there is a, there is a knack to giving feedback about work, but just being generous with it. Um, and like kind of inviting people to come and, 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 and look at the stuff you've been doing is it's really yeah. important. Yeah. Very true. And then the keynote thing, I mean, that's, um, <laughs> I, I, me too. Like I, I've experienced the, that there's definitely a lot of, uh, usage of the keynote. It seems to be the medium with which, um, presenting, can be both received and edited by many people yeah. slash including the client um, sometimes, yeah. um, which is, yep. I think, the primary reason. But of course, you know, you, you got to make do and find that uh, that compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's right. I mean, ultimately, for better or worse, um, lots of companies will probably work the same way as Nike, but... Um, Keynote is the way that um, the ideas get shared mm. um, around the company. Like, you know, when you're talking about presenting your work to, to, to leadership, it's always going to be in the form of a keynote deck. And, um, you know, like, I think the move in, um, in interaction design recently has been toward prototyping and like, you know, getting stuff up and running quickly, getting people trying on a phone, uh, if it's an app or whatever. Um, and that's actually a really... That's that. That's a really um, important thing, um, and I think it, that's the way that these kind of things will go. And hopefully, that means we we can use Keynote a little bit less. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're we're already beginning to see that internally at Nike. That you know, the power of handing someone a phone and saying, "Well, like I could show you a slide deck with these screens in it, but you know what? Just use it." Yeah. Um, it's immensely more powerful. Um, so hopefully, you know, that's the way that things will go and, and, and we can only use, we can only bust out keynote when we actually have to, you know, put together a yeah, for sure. pretty presentation. So we'll, um, we'll now talk about some of your, your teaching. Um, you, you know, you've, you've taught for, uh, schools, including the, uh, visual arts in New York, uh, and California college of arts. Um, yep. what, what's maybe one core principle 
you can shed some light on for us on on the foundation of interaction design. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I mean, in the course that um, that I taught at CCA, I was uh, it was it, it was called like as you mentioned, foundation interaction design. So basically, um, it was um, students had just finished their foundation year where they did a project, and then this was one of the first modules that they took on their um, the remainder three years of their of their BFA um, program. And so really, it was a case of like you know I could. I, I could have approached teaching this in in in, in one or two different ways. And luckily, I had um, two um, really amazing co-teachers. Um, the last co-teacher was JP, funnily enough, um, and then before that um, was a was a, was a friend of mine called Jen Beauvais. Um, and um, and we both thought about it, and we were like, well, we could approach this one or two ways. We could get very technical, and we could say these are how you use the tools that you will need to use to be an interaction designer, um, or we could be more. Um, we could focus more on, you know, the the very important soft skills that you need um, to be a successful interaction designer, and, and things around like curiosity and collaboration, um, and the ability to think expansively about a problem, um, and then narrow down those thoughts into something that's a little bit more focused. Um, and so that's kind of like where we went, um, and um, and I I think it worked. I mean, you'd have to ask the students whether they enjoyed it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of like I, I I think you know that that was. That's a really important thing to realize is that you can um, focus and you can be really good at the tools that you need to to use to be a successful interaction designer. But you could also you also need to pay attention to the to the softer skills like being a good collaborator, um, you know, being able to to present your work well, um, being able to share things in a in a way that people find engaging, um, being curious that you know, being able to look at a problem and 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 think um, like very broadly about it. Um, and then sort through those thoughts to find out which ones are like going to be more successful um, and take those through into like the design of a product or service. Um, all those things are really, really important, I think. Yeah, that's really great advice. Uh, now, I know you can only talk very broadly about this next question, but um, many <laughs> of the listeners, and I'm talking many of the listeners, <laughs> want to know... Uh, of course, without giving away too much proprietary information, but mm. in your from your thoughts on the future of health tech wearables, yeah. um, especially with um, my fitness pal being acquired by Under Armour, and also there's Strava, yep. which is a, a network that logs all your workouts for all of you listeners that might not know, um, and mm-hmm. you know you can compare your efforts and your your tally and and compete with others and etc. Um so this whole thing about tracking your health and data and yep. and wearing things that allow you to do that. Yeah. Where is this going, do you think? Um yeah, I I, I think um, you know, one side of it is the technology um side, right? So there, there's gonna be um, you know, there's technology coming down the pipe that's um gonna be capturing more and more data about the um, you know, the things that your body produces as it mm. exists in the world. So um, you know, we've already seen a lot of devices with like optical heart rate monitor um sensors, um, such as that that you find in like, you know, the Apple Watch. Um, and there's already like, you know, a, a lot of devices with um with accelerometry. Um, so, you know, things that can figure out, um, uh, how quickly you're moving and in what direction you're moving. Um, and you know, that there'll be more and more sensors of that type that come along that can actually tell you more, that can record more data from your body. Um, the, I think the real unlock is like, obviously what you do with that data, um, how you make that data useful to people, Hmm. um, and how you deliver that data or those insights that come from that data in a timely fashion. Um, that's the thing that I still don't think anyone has really on, um, uh, got right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I see like kind of, I see nudges towards it, um, from like different companies. Um, but, um, but whether you're talking about, you know, like general fitness data or whether you're talking about data that's specifically related to like sporting activity, like, you know, Garmin and Strava and those guys will, um, will produce, um, I think, you know, the, 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 the real power in that is like what you do with the data, how you make it presentable, how you make it, um, useful for people to look at it and go, Oh, okay, cool. Like, um, I know I know that I'm getting better, or I know how I need to get better. You know, yeah. And and I almost, I know I know what you mean. I mean, is it is it a there a way to make it <laughs> scarily even more seamless? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, still having to go through the experience of going on an app store, for example, and downloading an app, mm. sync syncing the the device, mm-hmm. going into the app again. Mm-hmm. to check that data 
Yeah. And then, it, yeah. and then having that data affect you in a positive or negative way, such as I'm on track or I'm not, yeah. it's still probably not as, as, um, seamless in, in terms of, I don't know, all of those things and, and more. Yeah, I, I think when you look at um, devices that uh, like Garmin watches um, or or, um, or like the the stuff that Strava makes, that's um, that are really good at, at like kind of reducing the friction between the data being collected and and telling you like what's happening. Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting thing. And you know, the stuff that the Apple is doing with like HealthKit as an example, right? It's like an open platform or openish platform for um for like you know cataloging lots of different data points about you hmm. um and google fit is another example of that as well um in the, the android space um it's all that stuff is like pointing to an interesting future but um you know the kind of like the experience where it it um actually begins to have an effect on how you live or how you approach exercise I still don't think we're quite there yet yeah it just reminded me of this other one um i think i saw it on Springwise or something online but it was um a, a watch or a device that actually sends a couple volt voltage zaps and actually electrocutes you um, when <laughs> <laughs> when you are doing something that you're not meant to do, which was interesting. <laughs> um, and I say That's... it's interesting because, isn't it? Like it's the whole idea that um, a lot of the times, why? Yes, we can we can look at the data and go, wow, I didn't do my steps today but then right. it's like right. well how are you getting punished by not doing that and um yeah well so what does that mean yeah like okay I, like my fitbit tells me i didn't do two thousand steps today okay cool uh and 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 now what exactly you know like okay i, I feel bad about that what do i do next i'll just do two thousand steps tomorrow okay you know i i think we can get i think we can get better and and you know we will um yeah uh i think you know it's something that every company realizes is is, is 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 the thing that they need to unlock that's right there's there's something else there isn't there there's there's that whole area of of how can we make this a um more of a a motivator slash mm-hmm. um you know a, a, a strong behavioral change um mm. utilizing that data as you were saying so um, a couple more questions for you before we wrap up uh, ben um mm-hmm. a, a question i ask most of my guests is if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Ben Fullerton, <laughs> uh, um, perhaps the, the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell him, mate? <laughs> <laughs> probably, I'd probably tell him to, um, to, uh, to cut his hair. I had a terrible mullet. Did you was, really? Uh, yeah, when I was 16, it was shocking. Um, wow. I'm going to have to get that up. Thankfully, I've burnt every picture <laughs> okay. of that um, moment in my life. Um, yeah, I, that's that's a good one. I don't know why I tell myself. Um, uh, uh, yeah, um, just shake, just shake your your younger self and just say, "There, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what I mean." <laughs> that's um, it, pretty much. <laughs> um, all right. So the um, I'm sure I'm sure that uh, would mean that you have a lot of things to say yourself. Maybe hmm. yeah, right, exactly. Pondering that. Um, <laughs> So who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Perhaps that person who has inspired you to think bigger and, and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. Yeah. Oh, uh, there've been a, there've been, um, a lot of people I think who, who've kind of filled that role as I've, as I've gone through my career, like both in a professional and a, and a personal context. Mm. Um, uh, like personally, um, like I'm, I'm uh, lucky enough to to be um, without getting too emotional for everyone. I'm lucky enough to be um, married to an incredible woman who who does push me forward every day and and make sure that like I'm always trying to be the best person I can be. Um, professionally, um, I uh, I professionally I think probably um, the guy that I always come back to is um is a, is a is a gentleman called Chris Downs who was the guy who first hired me at the um away from away from my first job to work for him and his new company um and i think chris is uh chris is is is, is still obviously a practicing designer he's not dead uh, he's still alive. <laughs> um just to clarify um, just to clarify um because uh, i feel like i'm talking about him in the past tense <laughs> um but uh but yeah he was like you, you know I, I think it's great to have someone who um looks at you um when you're at the beginning of your career and goes, you know what, I, I kind of understand what you're about and I understand what you're interested in. 
Um, and, um, and I want to kind of help you figure out like who you are professionally. Um, and Chris was that person for me. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's another piece of advice for, for young designers starting out is find a good mentor, find someone who's been doing this for a little while, um, and who can, um, who can help push you and who can like kind of, you know, see what's good in you and, and, and keep you, um, and keep you moving forward. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, you mentioned mentor, um, many of the listeners know I announced it in my last episode, um, that, uh, I'll, I'll be releasing a book. Um, Ooh. actually when this goes live, this won't be the, well, I would have mentioned it a couple of times now, um, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, how to get a, how to get a mentor as a designer, um, yeah, cool. is, is the next book I'm, I'm about to launch this year, but, um, just what you said about, um, the person that was that for you was someone that yeah. saw something in you and, and, and almost thought, I, I know what you're about. I want to help you get there. Um, and, yep. and I just wanted yep. to make that point very clear to people that not everyone that, um, that you stumble across will be the right mentor for you as well. Like on the other end of the spectrum, you, you also need someone that's willing to, um, to, sort of not only vibe with your personality but yeah. are aligned with your your future goals your future um direction your yep. um your value system yeah. um because there is a beautiful thing that happens when you do find that person that yeah. of course isn't a tyrant isn't bullying you into their ideas yep. but in fact is open to your ideas and yep. is it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah it's it's a really important thing to realize that, you know, that, that kind of like mentor mentee relationship, I guess, is, um, mm. it's, 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 it should be, it should feel like a pretty equal one. Mm. Um, it should feel like you're both getting something out of that relationship. Like even as someone, you know, even as someone with more experience learning from someone with less experience, you know, there are ways that, I mean, and, I, and I've been lucky enough to, to, to be, to be a mentor for other designers subsequently in my career. And I've learned from them as much as I hope they've learned from me. Um, and I think, you know, like you were saying, it's important to realize that that should be like a, a relatively equal relationship, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that up. Um, okay, so what's next for you, Ben, and everything you're involved in for this year and, and beyond? Um, there's some cool stuff happening here. Nice. <laughs> that's about, that's pretty much it's like I uh i can't really tell you at all but <laughs> it's a yeah there's um there's you know it's nike there's um there, there, there'll be some cool stuff coming out oh mate people are, are going to be excited um <laughs> even more now that you've uh you've given them the scarcity of that uh, <laughs> the scarcity of information <laughs> yeah um which is which is rightfully uh fine um uh, how can listeners get in touch with you ben online uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Twitter. Um, I'm I'm just uh, Ben Fu on Twitter. So it's B E N um, and then F U Fullerton. That's my um, my surname. So just Ben Fu. And actually, I'm pretty Ben Fu on pretty much everything. Um, nice. Apart apart from um, LinkedIn, where I think I'm Ben F L. There you go. Great. Send definitely send <laughs> Ben a, a tweet, guys. Um, mate, that that wraps up this episode. So thank you so much for making our brain tingle here and and sharing your <laughs> your knowledge. So. Um, uh, I really appreciate you being uh, so open and and really giving us practical information as well and and sharing your story. Um, I wish you continued success, mate. And and I'm excited to see now what um, <laughs> Nike has planned for for this year and um cool. and the next so thanks for being awesome. on thanks ram thank you so much for donating your most valuable asset your time and attention on this episode i truly appreciate every single one of you for listening and supporting this podcast and all things giant thinkers it was a fascinating hour spent with ben and i hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did now a little teaser for the next episode our next guest has been in the creative and design industry for almost 20 years and is currently the executive creative director and national design director for Deloitte Digital. Over the last two decades, he has consulted with Fortune 50 companies, built agencies, created brands, and shares with us gold nuggets of knowledge and wisdom collected from all his diverse experiences. He describes himself as spending an obsessive amount of his life daydreaming about how to improve the world around him. And I can't wait for you all to hear that special episode. 
Before you race off, just a quick few announcements. If you'd like to receive future updates regarding the release of my second book, as mentioned earlier, titled How to Get a Mentor as a Designer Guaranteed, you can be kept in the loop by visiting giantthinkers.com slash mentor. Enter your first name and email and you will be kept in the loop. I've also been snapping up a storm on Snapchat lately. So head on over there to check out some very unfiltered behind the scenes footage. Some are random, some are educational, but hopefully overall very entertaining. My handle is the giant thinker, the same handle I have on Instagram, Twitter, and Periscope. You can always Snapchat me directly if you have any questions or just want to say hello. I'd love to hear from you. So that just about wraps up this episode, Giants. And remember, every day is an opportunity to fall more in love with your craft, embrace your gifts, and pay it forward. 